What's the latest, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the In the Paint Show presented by Ball is Life. Ronnie Flores and Devin Ugland with you as always as your hosts. Ronnie, before we get into um, our Pangos All-American Camp takeaways, our thoughts, uh, bring camp director Dino Stragonis in and give us what, what he thought on his camp this year. Let's talk a little bit of your wheelhouse, uh, boxing. Um, Andy Ruiz Jr. won the heavyweight title over Anthony Joshua with a, with a knockout. Um, surprising this to most people, I guess. Yeah, um, I don't a, follow so- the heavyweights very much these days anymore. We'll get into that as well in a little bit. But surprising to some people. Um, Ronnie, give us your my, your overall take on you know your thoughts on on that match. Yeah, I think it's a, a like a historical moment in terms of you know you have a a California guy from Imperial Valley, Andy Ruiz Jr. winning the heavyweight champ. He's the first. Mexican American to win in the the heaviest division. He took the fight in the last you know month. Uh, we had another fighter who dropped out as a challenger, and he took on the fight quickly. And uh, it was a big shocking result because he'd actually fallen, got dropped in the third round, got up as a challenger supposed to, and you know took a punch and delivered a big overhand right that kind of sent the champion. Uh, you know, put him on in day in a daze and and got the technical knockout. He fell twice. Couldn't continue. Anthony Joshua lost his, you know, three heavyweight belts, and and we got a new champ, a new a new reign. Uh, because of the way the the contract was written up, obviously Ruiz didn't didn't have no leverage in it. He's got to take a rematch, and you know we'll see where that that is at and when that is. I'm assuming it'll be sometime in the fall or yeah. I think it's, they said Nove- November is kind of like the maybe yeah. the target month for that rematch. Yeah, and um, you know it's interesting, Devin, that he kind of uh, scored one for the. Uh, Monday morning quarterback for the couch potato guys who like sports. Right. You know, uh, cause he every, looks, he looks like a, looks a guy part. who's on his couch watching, watching baseball uh, or drinking a beer, yeah. having, yeah. having dinner, you know, just hanging out. That's kind of yeah. the, the, his body type. But again, in boxing, Ronnie, sometimes all you need is one punch or two punches. And, and that's all really, you know, the definition of a match maybe. Yeah. It's a, that's especially in the heavyweights, Devin. Yeah, yeah. Hit somebody with some heavy, you know, heavy hands, and you can take a punch yourself. I mean, you don't have to be in the greatest of shape to take a punch. I mean, you're literally taking you know. punches to your head. Yeah, like that's where your brain is. Like that's yeah. where things happen. Where like, yeah, you can just get obviously knocked out, and that's really looked to me what happened. And you talk about that in every sport, Devin. The pain threshold for everybody's a little different. Some guys, you know, have a reputation for not being. Able to take it, and other guys, or especially in basketball, we've seen it where they can play, and they can keep coming. It's kind of interesting. We're we're also in the NBA Finals. It's a one-one series between Toronto and Golden State, and Golden State is yeah, they got a yeah. lot of injury problems. So, yeah. you know, we'll talk a little bit about that, and we'll talk about Pangos camp. But yeah, it was a very interesting moment because I think the public is not in tune with the heavyweight division. They really haven't been since um, Lennox Lewis, another Britain heavyweight, was a great. Guy kind of overtook from Evander Holyfield, and obviously Evander Holyfield kind of became an American icon for beating Mike Tyson twice. And Mike Tyson was kind of the last heavyweight that the world really gravitated to. Yeah. He's kind of was like a LeBron James or a, a Steph Curry. Where I mean, if he went to Asia, it was it was must see, must see. Yeah, I mean, he, the hotels were packed. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. hotels were packed where he was at. The cameras were everywhere. I mean, the guy was that big. You know, he was on all, all kind of. Um, endorsements, Pepsi, you know, anything you could think of Mike Tyson touched at the time. And just the heavyweights are not there. It's very interesting. We're talking about Ruiz, you know, a couple of uh, sports writers, sports 
columnists and and on-air personalities took some shots at him. The public doesn't really know about him. Yeah. And he actually hit up like Snickers on Twitter and was like, "Hey Snickers, why don't you DM me? I would love to promote you guys." Yeah, so yeah. talk a little bit about that, Devin. We'll transition from the actual match itself uh, to the actual like the sports writers take and and what you feel there. I'm just I'm just curious as to why you better speak to this why the heavyweight you know weight class is kind of people aren't taking note of it people aren't yeah. tuning into it very much it's a floyd mayweather canelo alvarez manny pacquiao those have been the, the three kind of key fighters i think in yeah. the last 20 handful years, of years, years i mean that's years, a lot yeah. that's a long time because the heavyweight weight class used to be the premier bout like that's yeah. the that, those are the guys that you tuned into those are the guys that you knew by name yeah, yeah. now it's, everybody it's knows Walter weights and junior middleweights yeah. Ollie Ford, yeah frazier what's yeah. been with the change is it because the most popular fighters are the guys who are the most marketable fighters maybe are now welterweights and in, in lower weight classes like yeah that? i think you look at the the junior middleweights the welterweights the the i think the promoters know especially you look at oscar de la hoya who kind of broke away from Bob Arum when he was his promoter and started his Golden Boy promotions. He knows the market. He knows the landscape. He made immense amount of money. The guy from East L.A., the Golden Boy Oscar, um, you know, was popular, and that draws the fans. And we they need pay-per-view buys or people tuning in. They know that the Latino, Latino community and the Latino market, especially on Cinco de Mayo or Mexican Independence Weekend, which is middle of September, those are huge fight weeks. And they're right. For the last 20 years, they've involved a Latino fighter or two Latino fighters or a Latino fighter fighting somebody else, whether it's Canelo, whether it's Oscar, whether it was Manny Pacquiao fighting one of those great Mexican fighters. And and, and that's kind of just carried over to the pub. That's what the writers write about. That's what they promote. And in turn, that's what people buy. And, and it's a it's a cynical thing. So yeah. the public knows Oscar. The public knows Manny. And then Floyd Mayweather, the great American you know, fighter who just happens to be undefeated 50, you know, he just happens to be in that weight class and he's from a great boxing family. So he naturally fit in to challenge those Latino fighters and he beat them. And it was a great story. And, uh, it was just great theatrics. I think the HBO's 24 seven between De La Hoya and Mayweather, which was in 2007, it took Floyd Mayweather from like a 30 and two undefeated fighter who was making money to like this global, person who started making huge money yeah. like look more Mayweather is almost a billionaire now. right you know that that particular 24 7 show leading up to their fight and it happened to do it had to do with he always had boxing fans mayweather but he got the latino fans to either cheer for him or against him so it kind of just brought him boosted his form. stock in both sides on both, on both sides because yeah. if you hate him he's even you're still gonna watch you're still gonna you still, watch you want to see him get his ass kicked so that goes into what uh Stephen a smith said about <laughs> Stephen a who obviously wasn't watching ruiz before saturday right so go into that and what yeah. he said so uh, for some reason espn now thinks it's um, yeah. good television or entertaining to put Stephen a into um arenas where he can uh evaluate boxing, boxing. And, yeah. and speak on boxing and um score boxing so after anthony joshua was knocked out by um ruiz uh, Stephen A. Smith decided to go to Twitter as he always does and, and take some shots. One of the tweets reads OMG exclamation point OMG exclamation point and OMG is obviously in all caps because uh, he's screaming yeah. at, as usual. I cannot believe this shit. Uh, Anthony Joshua, holder of three belts, gets TKO'd by Butterbean. Obviously a shot at a- Andy Ruiz's weight. Um, I mean, some dude named Andy Ruiz Jr. What a damn disgrace. Joshua looked completely gassed giving him an excuse correct uh more fatigued than hurt 
gives him an excuse. Now, how in the hell do you do you let that happen? How uh, he continues, I'm sick over this for myself, for fight fans, and especially for Deontay Wilder, who should have been the one administering this TKO. I'm so freaking disgusted right now. Like, yeah, and, and Ruiz like, yeah. came back and was like, "Dude, you he was cordial. You, you didn't yeah. follow my career. Or this you watched me. This is the first time you've seen me fight. Him. This is obviously the first time he's watched him. Uh, Ruiz only has one disputed loss, so he's a pro. Like we talked about in the gym, like, he's yeah. a pro. He's a pro. He's a pro. You know, a pro's a pro. Yeah. So if you're fighting 30 fights and you've only lost one, that's you're pretty damn good. You're pretty damn good, regardless of your body type, regardless yeah. of how in shape you are. He obviously can hit a punch. And I, I noticed that tweet you said. He said he's more gassed than hurt. Well, Stephen A, if in boxing you're hurt from the middle of the first round on. You're and, not injured. You're hurt. In the heavyweight division, you're hurt. You're, like being gassed is you. Ha- like, that is it, bigger than being hurt. Correct. Because you're hurt. <laughs> right. Being gassed. The first time is you got punched. Hurt. Yes. Yeah. The first time you get punched, you're hurt. Right. That, that takes the gas out of you. <laughs> yeah. You're hurt. So yeah. you just haven't fallen down, and you've learned to take a punch because you're a pro, but you're not injured, so you're not going to stop the fight. So, right. Oh, he's more gassed than injured. Being in shape in boxing is about the super important Maybe the thing, most important, important thing, thing, right? Correct. It's the road work you put in. So kind of a silly statement. And I think it goes to what we're saying. You know, uh, the popular TV personalities, they think they can just throw them anywhere and start commenting on stuff. We yeah. see it in the gyms. If you and have an yeah. iPhone, you have an iPhone. You can shoot video and you have a Twitter. Now you're, you know, a basketball evaluator. You can evaluate other sports. That is in so, no way a shot at Matty Kovac because yeah. he does a great job with his so, phone and his video. <laughs> so, t- so, so take us through that a little bit. Then. What yeah. you feel about those comments? And, what, and then transition, we start transition talking about basketball. Obviously, it's a lot easier to pinpoint the top 12-year-old uh, basketball player than it is to pinpoint the next Walter Payton or Joe Montana. Yeah, the physicality you know. is just different in, the, yeah. in both sports. Yeah. Um, I think, like we discussed before the show started Ronnie um, evaluating top end basketball talent is not difficult. It's really okay? not like yeah. they have stars and rankings for a reason. They're very good at basketball. Yeah. And you can see it at a you young age. You can see it at now, a young age. Other things happen. They don't develop right. off court issues. They don't choose the right schools, but you know, keep going into but, that. Uh, ju- this is just strictly the Penguins all American camp or shoe circuits or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are filled with top guys with, you know, big reputations. It's easy to evaluate those guys. You give a guy a phone, you give him a Twitter account, you you know have the ability to take a mug shot and post it and put some, oh, he can shoot well, he can dribble, he can pass, and he can score. Like, okay, great. Everyone knows that, bro. Yeah. Like, yeah. give us something Give us something deeper. Yeah. You know what I mean? People think that um, it's easy to do the things that, you know, you and I and Frank and Joel and, you know, Others, all these, yeah. Aaron Bergen, who, who do Van these things, Coleman. Van, yeah. you know, who write these reports and kind of, um, you know, Spend really, time on it. Yeah, spend a lot of time and get into like the intricacies of people's games. Yeah. Like people or like, they don't they don't see the scouting reports that I provide to college coaches, right? Sure. Uh they don't see that my reports end up being somewhere around like between like twenty and twenty five thousand words. Wow. Breaking down people's games and, you know, giving full evaluations. You know, you see things on Twitter that are kind yeah. of spliced, you know, just you know, quick hitters. Quick cookie cutter. Yeah, because you only have a certain amount of space to be able to do that. Um but it's just funny being in the gym, any gym, and watching, you know, quote unquote, like evaluators or people, you know, with their phones taking pictures. It's just, it's just funny. And that kind of lends into the overall theme for me of this year's Penguins All American Camp. Obviously, a, a great collection of talent as Dino Stragonis always uh, brings together, um, whether it's top end or the, the lower end guys, quote unquote, um, are still very good. Uh, this one for me was, was, 
not necessarily filled with high-end talent, but it was Correct. extremely deep. Top to bottom, I don't think there was much of a gap from, uh, I mean, maybe from from Mobley and Cade Cunningham, who I would say are the two top players in the camp this year, to the you know the 120th ranked guy, or w- sure. whatever number he got there. From the, 25 to 50, say I think, I'd say 15 to, to 100 was really like... Close. Pretty close. You know, a lot of interchangeable pieces there. Um, but I, I, I felt a sense of um, lack of effort, lack of appreciation, lack of fire, um, just kind of people coasting, people not taking it seriously. And it showed at times. Yeah, this kind of circles back into what we were just discussing. It's just like these kids have, you know, people on, on their, excuse my French, on their nuts for. Yeah. From, from start to finish, start to finish, from the age of eleven to now, or even during the they, weekend, they got somebody's always yeah, talking. Verified them. on Twitter, they've got people with fake accounts running like fan accounts of them. They've got uh, mixtape people just you know posting and posting and posting all their highlights, no lowlights, um, and it's come to a point where we're in the middle of all of these kids have grown up as social media stars. Sure, and, and expect things from people, expect people to. Just kind of hand them things, okay, and, and they don't take it seriously. Do you think the problem is um, that, or do you think the problem is you know the way uh, they gotta understand that's how it's gonna be, so they gotta uh, look bypass that? Is it a huge problem? Is it something that um, maybe they're expecting as well? Hey, I don't want to go to that event. There's no cameras there. You know what? What is your take from from that? Because not necessarily how we solve it, but what's the root of it? What's the I think there's I think <laughs> I think kids don't want to hear the truth about their, about about themselves, about their game. They okay. don't want to hear negative parts of their game. They only want the positive stuff. Okay. And the people around them are the ones who are feeding them all the positive stuff and calling those who may say a negative thing or point out something a criticism or yeah. a critique or something about their game that they need to change or get better yeah. at. Those those guys are classified as haters. That's sure. the new word that everyone yeah. likes to throw out there is people yeah. are haters. No, I'm just trying to help. Yeah. I'm trying to help a kid get better at, yeah. at the game of basketball and ha- help them with long-term success, not fizzle out as a high school kid who's a five-star or ends up not making the league or, or fizzling Correct. out in college and, you know, going too high and bouncing back three times and transferring schools five times, going in the transfer portal six times, going to Juco, you know what I mean? Like going too high. There's yeah. club programs around here that, I mean, around all, all around places that want to send their guys to the highest level because it makes them look good. Correct, and I think it and goes that's back, bullshit. I think it goes back to what you're saying because the game is easier to evaluate. People attach themselves to the kids. Sure, the only yeah. guy I know of in the last 20 years around here that was kind of like a Pop Warner phenom, who you can see it was the Black Mama D'Anthony Thomas, who went to Oregon. Oregon. He was supposed to go to USC. He was a big, you know, big name. He was a big name. Like at 13 years old, he was running an under 100 meter, you know, an under. 11 seconds, even like in eighth, ninth grade. So, but besides him, I didn't see you great. There's not a lot of people attaching themselves to Pop Warner kids. Why? Because they can't evaluate it and say, oh, this kid's going to make a lot of money. Yeah. We're in basketball. You can. You can. That's the root of some of what we're saying. You can point him out and start, you know, following him, get to know the kid. And it happens all over. It's not just this weekend. So, yeah, um, no, it happens. Like, we're not, this is not a knock on the Pangos All American yeah. camp. Like, no. Here's everywhere. the thing. This is part of the game now, okay? Yeah. This is part of the game. The cameras are part of the game. The mixtape yeah. is part of the game. Yeah. People wanting photos are part of the game. Yeah. Yeah. Putting on their Instagrams and trying to get famous. It's all part of the game. Got I'm it. not. You and I are not into that. No. I don't want to be in photos. 
I don't want to be too many photos. I don't want to be in photos. I want to stand there. Uh, we, keep watching. We, we stood there watching two courts all weekend, right next to each other the whole time. Yeah, I didn't move. And I didn't want to talk. We didn't talk too much, actually. No. I talked to Did people you, about yeah. people's games and things like that. Um, or just give them some direction. Hey, that's so-and-so, and that's it. Right. We're doing a job. So, um, you know, what you kind of mentioned your overall take of the camp. I agree with you. Uh, Kate Cunningham from Montverde out of Arlington, Texas, originally. Uh, from top to bottom, I thought he was the best player in the camp. Uh, you know, Evan Mobley uh, dominated his position. He, he either, you know, wanted to be, as a precaution, or he found a twins in his back. He didn't play on the last day and didn't play in the All-Star game because then I thought he would be either the t- best player in the camp or right there. And so, they were co-camp, uh, most co-camp. outstanding players. And and that and that that worked. And those are the two guys coming in who, I think, in our last pod, we were like, those are the two guys who are probably going to be in the at, mix at the top of the at top of the list. Yeah, and the, in the mix for that. So that's how it worked out. You know, again, I think the top, I would say the top seven were like, wow, they, these guys showed themselves as true, you know, high school Americans. Then from there, like you said, eight to fifty, eight to seventy, you could jungle it in a bunch of different yeah. ways right one eight to 70 like 70 had a great game and eight had a bad game yeah you know what i mean like they, they were all interchangeable parts and then there. i want to talk a little bit about too because like i said i was watching which would be the middle court and the court behind me two and three two yeah. and three if you guys weren't there one was i guess the eastern f- most yeah. farther court there's three courts in this camp games running simultaneously and like you said whether it's a handler or a coach or a parent, they're watching the one game that their kid is involved in. Right, and nothing else. And they're not watching the other two. And then when that kid's game is over, they're going outside the gym or they're going to lunch. or they're, Well, we're still watching. Yeah. But then they want to you know, say, hey, I, you didn't, see, you didn't this. see this. You yeah. didn't miss this. That's another thing. Or they're socializing. Like yeah. you mentioned, they want to get a picture with a kid. Maybe a player who played at the camp comes by to say hi to Dinos and the other guys. And then that guy, they want to take a picture with him. Then, you know... They're looking at their phones. Half the game's gone, and they didn't even look up. Yeah. So I, that's the one pet peeve I have is people telling me, oh, watch out for this. You didn't see this. You ranked this guy too low. You didn't write up about this guy. <laughs> right. Oh, my God. Well, I get you that didn't, all you, the time. You didn't. You only watched his game. Right. Or you And you're specifically watching him. Right. They don't see the yeah. – I mean, I have all this here, Ronnie. As you can see, I'm showing you my notes. I have notes on every single player, and I have more at home. I sit there, the stand there, the sit there, wherever, the whole time watching multiple yeah. games. Every single player has – Massive amounts of notes written next to their name, right? Um, and I, I don't miss a player. Stuff. And, and I'm still, still missing stuff, for you're sure. You're still missing something. And like you, you you, made the point, I'm still learning. You're still learning. There's always something to learn anew every camp, even if you see the same player for the next time. Obviously, you want to see players more than one time and one and more than one setting. So you're always learning. And I think that goes back to your point about Stephen A. and Because he's he's working with a guy who does know boxing, Max Kellerman. Yeah. Like, dude, do some homework on Reese. Yeah, and same thing with that'd be the same thing I would say to to some of the people out here. Do homework on the other players before <laughs> oh, yeah, you just go off on a right. Oh, my guys hated on my guys too low. Okay, well, you know, so it it goes to, to what you're saying. Yeah, and um, I think it it, it it was good to see. Dinos always has a a, a kind of looser camp than some other camps compared to what we saw at Magic Memorial Day, where people are all uptight about yeah. every call. This was a little different. Um, Devin, give me a couple guys who in that atmosphere, do you think really showed the intenses, the necessary, yeah. the drive and just kind of no bullshit. Yeah. yeah sure. No bullshit. Give me a, uh, I like no bullshit three guys. guys. Give me Those two or favorite, three guys. Those are my favorite things. No bullshit guys. Yeah. Uh, I think the number one, no bullshit guy was Zion Harmon. Okay. I think he controlled every single game he played in yeah. with, with, you know, whether it's passing, scoring, yeah. five, uh, ten ball point handling. Guard. 
510 point guard out of uh, Marshall Prep. County, but he's at Compass Prep now. Oh, no, Bella Vista, Bella Vista Prep yeah. in Arizona, but he's from Marshall County in Kentucky. Um, yeah, I think he just kind of controlled the pace with, with ball handling, decision-making. Uh, he scored it when he wanted to. He scored it when he needed to. Uh, and he played hard on defense. And he did. He got it, down yeah. low and he really defended the guy. And because guys were coming at him, and then after a while, I was like, "We knew it. no these guys can't guard him. <laughs> no, no, one can so guard him. nobody could stay in front of him. No, even no. if they backed off. Yeah, he was still blowing by them. So that I, I thought Zion Harmon played again. He may not play that good in the next camp, but for this camp, he did play. Yeah, that this good. is specifically for this camp. I think yeah. another guy was Aminu Muhammad. I yeah. think he was a guy who also helped himself the most. Um, I really didn't know much about him before he before this camp. Yeah, um, he's obviously invited for a reason because he's good at basketball, and he proved that. He proved that he's good at basketball in the camp games. Uh, the first, you know, two days on Friday and Saturday, he was the guy, terrific. right? Yeah, he was terrific. I mean, he was he was the camp's leading scorer well, yeah. according to the stats provided. But the stats, our yeah. stats guy was watching. Yeah, he had two phones out watching horse racing and softball while keeping stats during the games. Yeah. I'm like, come on. Yeah, I, I'm not worried about the stats, yeah, but, but overall, you can see the we, buckets were there. We watched him plenty, and he mm. those those scoring stats were legit, as accurate as it gets. Uh, yeah, he, he was um, very good. I had followed him when he was a freshman in, in DC. I knew he then moved to Missouri. He's at uh, Greenwood Laboratory in Springfield, and I was he's one of the guys I'd mentioned that I wanted to see more of, and he proved to be all that and everything that I had thought, mm-hmm. and. Uh, you know, he was just as good. Like I mentioned, those seven, the, those seven guys to me. Um, let's give your third guy, and then I'll tell you who the okay. seven guys were that I thought were your... clearly stand out from from the rest. Yeah, I think Paulo Banchero, who's probably going to be in your top seven, yeah, uh, was another guy who was no bullshit. Uh, that's because he can impact the game in a variety of ways, right? Yeah, Paulo Banchero can step out and hit the three point shot at six feet nine, and like I mean, he's a he's a legit two hundred and you know fifteen two hundred twenty pounds, real strong. Uh, he can impact the game in the paint, whether it's offensive rebounding and scoring with his back to the basket. But his biggest uh, strength, in my opinion, is his passing from the high post, from the low post. If he gets doubled, he kicks it. He doesn't force anything. He just plays the game how it's supposed to be played. Uh, doesn't, you know, try and talk shit to cameras and uh, get into, you know, you know, verbal altercations with people no. for no reason like some some people he's not like playing to do. for the cameras at he's all not playing for the cameras he's just playing the game because that's what he was brought there to do uh and i think banchero i saw him as an eighth grader at um i think it was an american sports center ebc camp i believe that open gym premier puts on and sure when i saw him there i'm like okay this guy knows how to play yeah and then he was you know he was six five um i think he was still playing quarterback at that time as a as a middle schooler sure um but it's clear that he has a, a great understanding for the game and how it's supposed to be played. Yeah, uh, I agree with you there. We did see him also too a little bit at Torrey Pines. Oh yeah, that's right for uh, Oday Seattle. It seems like years ago yeah, already. Yeah, it's about you know uh, eight months ago, whatever it was last last winter. Um, I maybe not even that long. Six months ago. Six months. Ago. So you know, it, it, great back to the basket can face. Um, you know, I thought that. He kind of let the game come to him, whereas some of his teammates were the some of the guys we mentioned that were either ball dominant or got caught up in the in in the BS. Even though he was on one of those teams, he still managed to play the game the right way, and he also hit a big shot to send a game in the middle court on the overtime. Yep, that was and, that was one of the step out threes that he yeah, hit. Yeah, and uh, that was a big moment. One of the moments that I like of the ten moments that I remember, like a player making big shots because there's so much scoring, so much action. Yeah. So lots of games, lots of you players. Know, um, so including him, I my other six guys would be Issa Silva, 
Zion Harmon. It's a silver's a point guard of Jesuit Carmichael. We'll get into a little bit. Zion Harmon, who we mentioned. I thought Zion Harmon played maybe a little better than Silva in terms of they we matched him up in the All-Star games, and Zion Harmon's ability and productivity didn't go down at all. I mean, he still was unguardable. Yeah, he's he still so, hit he's the so, deep he's range. He's so quick and shifty. Yeah. It's and, to keep and, him front. He, and the shots were falling. If the shots weren't falling, then I'd say, okay, maybe, you know, maybe he's not playing to that level, but he did play to that level. And this outside shot, he hits two deep ones in the All-Star game. Yeah. Um, Scotty Barnes from University School is one of the most well-known players in the camp. Probably would have been, most people thought, uh, a player who could have had a chance to win most outstanding player. Uh, he doesn't shoot it too well. His mechanics are a little off, uh, but he does everything else, Devin, um, in terms of leading his team. You know he's on the court. He's His will to win is there. His intensity... Uh, he led the camp in assists as a point forward type and rebounding. Yeah. And he just, you know, he can score a bucket when he needs to. He won a couple games by making plays at the end. So I, I give uh, Scotty Barnes a lot of credit. Evan Mobley, we mentioned the seven-footer from Rancho Christian. Uh, didn't play on the last day of camp, but still was the best player at his position, I would say, pretty easily. Um, the guy who kind of stepped to the forefront from the underclassmen, and there was a lot of good 2 true 21s we'll get into with Dinos here in a moment. Terrence Clark from Brewster Academy, 221, kind of can handle the ball too a little bit. Um, I thought at times Terrence maybe overhandled a little bit. At the, but, beginning, at the yeah. beginning of the camp, he was trying to do a little too much. much? He yeah. settled down at the end and yeah. played really well in the top 30 game. Yeah, and he had 16 points in the top 30 game, kind of showed that he belonged in that top tier of the camp. And then, so those those six plus Kate Cunningham, the... Uh, the camp MVP. Yeah. So uh, I think those, I, those are, I, I agree with, with that list. And I think yeah. for me, kind of the next couple guys, uh, Micah Peavy, I thought had a good camp. Um, yes, it, it's, it's interesting when you have a guy, um, who isn't ball dominant play well in a, in a setting like that, because for the most part in, in a camp like this, you need the ball in your hands to stand out. But Micah Peavy is so athletic and so smart moving without the ball that he puts himself in position to where, if the ball handler does not feed him the ball, you know, when and where the cut is, he's gonna the 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 passer ball handler is gonna look like an idiot for not giving it to him. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I he's just wide open. He gets he puts himself in the wide open situations, uh, moving without the ball in half in the half court, and he elevates so quickly off the floor that he can go up and finish over anybody. Yeah, Michael Peavy, the six six small forward from Duncanville. Obviously we had his teammate uh Jemias Ramsey at the ball is life all American game, and I thought he was one of the better players there. Uh, but you can see why Duncanville was such a good team and that they won the state title because if Michael Peavy's like 1B on that team, then you know that team's really oh, good. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, another guy, a, another guy I like was Dayron Sharp, committed in North Carolina. Uh, he goes to South Central High School in um, what's that? Winterville, North Carolina. He's yeah. just, I mean, that dude is a broad-shouldered beast, physical yeah. beast. I mean, blocking shots, and rim And he knows running. what he is. And you know, yeah, he played to his strengths. He didn't try and step out and shoot threes or take anyone off the dribble like a lot of the big guys try and do in, in that setting. Um, I thought Dalen Terry out of Hillcrest Prep in Arizona really helped himself in this camp, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, 6'7", real long, kind of a, more of a lanky, rangy kind of player. You know, he needs sure. to add a little bit of weight, strengthen his Strength base a weight. little bit. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, defensively, Ronnie, he was using his length to his advantage, containing quicker, smaller guards on the perimeter, um, you know, Pickpocketing guys, he pickpockets them a he lot. Does. He, he does. Knocks he's so the ball long. Away. Yeah, he knocks you're loose the ball with the away. ball. He's he's got quick hands. He's he's long. You you think he's not there, but he is. Yeah, he shoots pa- he shoots passing lanes, and he's a great passer. Sure. I think he needs to work on uh, catch and shoot three point shots to open up the floor for himself. 
but I thought Dalen Terry helped himself on the defensive side of the ball, which doesn't often happen in camps like that. Great. Yeah, that, that makes sense. He had one sequence where um, Kate Cunningham, who was his teammate, brought the team back from 88-81, a game we were watching, a regular camp game. Kate Cunningham made a three, got a steal, just, just what Kate Cunningham does. And then on the last possession, the guy we liked, Art Kuluma, had a chance to win the game. And he had the ball like 13 seconds to go. And Dalen picked him up at half court, forced him, you know, into the corner. Into the corner. Yep. He tipped the ball away, like we mentioned. Then he lost the ball. So that wasted another five seconds. Then he covered Kaluma. Kaluma couldn't get baseline. And the clock basically ran out. And, then, and they won in overtime, meaning Cade Cunningham and Dalen Terry. Right. So that was a good, good moment for him. Um, who's one more guy? Then we'll get our guy Dinos on the phone. Yeah, I think the guy you just mentioned. Well, I think I'm going to go back. Issa Silva was fantastic yeah he was just I mean, we'll his, talk about his passing play is unbelievable but um arthur kaluma he was in the top 60 game i thought he, his performances um throughout the weekend earned him a spot in the in the top 30 game but you know it, it, the selection process is done and it, he wasn't selected for that game but he played well in the in the top 60 game um i mean he's like six seven he's got a big strong frame yeah. but he's fluid though yeah like, he looks he like he might be score. yeah he looks like he might be one of those guys who's rigid and doesn't have any wiggle to his game, can't get by people. But, I mean, Kaluma gets by you, um, uses his strength to hold off defenders on his hip and finish, and he can hit up, you know, a step-back jumper and all those good things. He scored in a variety of ways. Kaluma's a 221 out of University Academy in Irving, Texas. Uh, we'd seen him at the Pangos Frost Soft Camp All South in Texas, and uh, he was deserving. You know, uh, I had him... Top 20, I had him number 21, so almost top 25 player in camp, even though he didn't make the top 30 game. So I'm there with you, Devin, in terms of uh, Kaluma. I thought he did a, thought he did a great job. Uh, I thought the the guys who who, who chose, chose the game, including myself and Dinos and others, the, most of the guys were the right guys. But I did notice that the guys who had the big game in the top 60 game were the guys that we were pushing for to be in the top 30 sure. game, which was... Malachi Weidman, yeah. Arthur Kaluma, and maybe even number seven. I forgot his name right now. But uh, number seven is uh, Devion Smith, Smith yeah. from, from Grayson. He's explosive. Uh, Grayson Hine Loganville. So th those were the three or four guys thought from the second game that could have been in the first game. But And as we mentioned, the depth of the camp, a whole number of guys could have been in the second game. And, and it was already 35 guys. Right, it was a lot which, of guys. But and, you, you know. I wasn't in the room. Dinos, what happened to my guy Arthur Kaluma? Give me give me the breakdown. Why didn't he make the top, top 30 game? <laughs> That's a great, great question. Arthur Kaluba has been coming to my camp since he was in the third grade. We've had to kind of slowly adjust his attitude thermometer from time to time. But he's making great progress and really developed into a big-time you know, wing forward, high major wing forward. And I think it would be a great priority recruit for uh, Big 12. Southeast Conference and beyond, and um, we had a couple of people that kind of uh, were fixated on other players or fixated on Kaluma for, for the wrong reasons, but yeah. the, uh, I think it all worked itself out. We actually had several high-level players in, in the second game. I wouldn't be surprised if we had more than a handful of guys in that second game that, you know, become pros and maybe even NBA players. And we had several guys also that were not picked for all-star games that are high major players. And we'll be looking back on and kicking ourselves in the rear end about you know, Sadrak, uh, Naganga, uh, Sky Clark had a great camp. 
uh, Chibuzo Agbo, um, you know, Michael Fogbu, uh, it's getting interesting. Uh, New Mexico was among the schools that saw him play on the baller TV live stream. I really like his, his potential and big kids from, uh, Houston, Texas, uh, say big Sam, who Ronnie knows very well, uh, didn't make an all-star game, but he has definitely major potential and Saku Cali from Louisville, another excellent young post prospect. And you know, just unfortunately, we didn't have enough room for all the guys worthy enough. And I'm missing other names too on the top of my head. That's part of the problem with the All Star selection. We were, we're trying to do it in a very compressed uh, amount of time. And, and when you have that dynamic involved, uh, the chance you miss one um, or two or three. Um, Much becomes higher. more prevalent. Yeah, uh, Dinos, this camp is in seventeenth year. Uh, I can't recall one that has depth. Do you, do you think this camp had as top to bottom as good amount of depth as any camp in recent memory, or even going back to the first one in two thousand three? What's your take there? Kind of give us your spill of of the depth of this camp and the growth of this camp. I thought the depth was very very good. Um, the size was excellent size and length, athleticism, you know, I take the approach that you never really know how good a camp is uh, until a couple of years later, almost like a college recruiting class. You never know how good that class is until they produce the college level and, and, and beyond. But, you know, uh, I'm very optimistic. This was a, you know, one of the better ones and you know, a lot of great players at the top. We think we had, um, I think probably the top two players in the class there in, uh, in Evan Mobley and uh, Kate Cunningham. That's, that's the consensus starting to form, I believe. And then um, as far as the younger group, I think we had, uh, not to use uh, Eric Bossy's rankings only, but I think we had 10 of the 11 top guys in the Rivals 2021 class currently. So... I think we had a good blend of size, good blend of um, rising seniors and um, younger kids. Uh, some of us have seen for the first time. JT Thor was impressive. You know, Paulo Banchero continues to be impressive. Um, Terrence Clark was terrific. You know, uh, Kaminga did not play as well as he's played in the EYBL, but he's as good an NBA prospect in that 2021 class as anybody. And several other guys, too. Abino Muhammad was the leading scorer in the camp, and he's a 2021 guy. He had multiple 30-point games. And there's a lot, a lot of um, things to talk about with respect to the, who was there and you know, guys that stepped up. And Jalen Clark had a you know, top three camp scoring. I think he helped himself. Isa Silva helped himself. Um, there's also several other sleepers too that played very well. I thought Bradley Zerwiro played well. Isaiah Johnson, although not a big time scorer, his overall game was terrific. Played a really great defense and scored in a timely fashion. But another, you know, we, we I saw some of the post camp commentary. And obviously, Mobley was terrific until he couldn't go any longer with the injury. And uh, Cade, Con Cade Cunningham was phenomenal, and Terrence Clark was getting rave reviews. 
one guy I'm not I was not quite sure why he wasn't getting more respect and at the same level as Scotty Barnes. Scotty Barnes, my opinion, was right in the thick of things for MVP of the camp. We talk about winning and talk about doing things that that result in winning basketball. I think he was first in the camp in assists. He was, I think, second or third in rebounding. He averaged double figures um, in points. Uh, two of, of his teammates were first and third in the camp in scoring. Uh, Isa Silva was on that team, the Arizona team, camp team. Uh, was blowing, not just beating people, but blowing them out. And he was a major reason, and as you call him, Ronnie, a Swiss Army knife. He's a Swiss Army leader, man. Uh, he was the best leader, best competitor in camp. He, he refused to lose. You know, they uh, were also in a camp dominated by Timber. He, they were the most undersized team there. But Kerr Maker had a groin injury. Uh, he tried to play on it at first, and he couldn't go. And I think the some, some uh, there was one other kid on that team that was a big that that didn't couldn't go, and they were down to six guys. And Barnes was just a, just a terrific winner and competitor, and, and they only had really one other post guy, excuse me, on that team, Jacoby Coles, from one of Ronnie's favorite schools, Denton Geyer. Yeah. He, play, he played a hell of a game. He was a solid, rugged forward. And they and T.J. Wainwright, who plays on my Belmont short team, I was pleasantly surprised the energy and the intensity especially defensively. I think he averaged over 15 points a game on that team. Played extremely well as, as well. And uh, the Scotty Barnes you know, may not be a deluxe score, but as far as a complete player and a winner, I mean, he was as good of a player there and probably should have been more deserving of camp MVP consideration than he got. Dinos, you clearly didn't read my report on your camp because I gave Scotty Barnes as much love as you can imagine. Um, but I believe Ronnie Flores has another one for you here, another question. Yeah, um, I think the guy you, 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 you talked about was, was Justin Lewis. But of those guys, uh, you know, obviously we mentioned the top-tier guys in the camp. Besides uh, Issa Silva stepping up, who we kind of know about, we've known about for a while, who do you think uh, really surprised you in this camp the most? Well, I've never really seen Aminu Muhammad play um, that much. And um, um, I, obviously he, had, he was a top 10 player coming in by reputation. Um, but he was phenomenal. I think he had multiple 30-point games. I mean, he's as good of a guard in that 2021 class I've seen. Gotcha. And we had Jaden Hardy in, the, in that class, and he's right up there with Jaden as far as scoring and talent-wise. And Jaden is phenomenal uh, talent out of, out of Coronado Henderson. But it seems like those two guys may be the best two wing guards in the class as of now. And um, um, you know, Musa Diabate, I think second in the camp and in rebounding. Takari East, I think, helped himself. He was a dependable producer all camp long. Um, Eric Jacklitz from Our Savior in New York, he's been raving about 
progress of his guy Adama Sonogo. And sure enough, you know, Adama was probably the top rebounders in the Nike YBL, was the fourth league rebounder here. Uh, Micah Peavy played well. Um, Carr played well. And with another guy, Moses Moody, terrific looking wing prospect. I think he's an NBA player. His, his smoothness, his skill level, his IQ, his, his ability to shoot the basketball. He's athletic enough. Josh Christopher, you know, some people kind of get on him for horsing around a little bit, but his talent is too, too immense to ignore. And I uh, think he was up there in scoring. He averaged 17 and a half. Um, but again, Scotty Barnes is at 6-7, leading the camp in assist. Um, and Ian Martinez uh, really showed his athleticism. He had a good camp, I believe, too. Yeah, I thought a lot of local the local guys, you know, has played pretty well um, with, with a national scale and national scouts in attendance and, and things like that. Um, give me your take on, you know, how you approach local invites um, and, you know, how those guys this year uh, performed in compared to the years past. You know, we got so many, so much interest in the camp nationwide. It's hard. It's harder to, um, not harder, but I think we've had a little bit less local invites than in previous years. And that's just a testament to the interest in the camp, how many people want to come and, and, I think the hard part for some of the kids locally and their families to fully understand is uh, there's a lot of talent in California. It is growing talent in Arizona and Nevada. But just can't, it just can't be a California camp or just a West Coast camp if it's going to truly be a national camp. Um, and that's part of the delicate balance of trying to balance the camp out uh, size-wise, position-wise, Geographical-wise, um, and normally, you know, kind of breaks down to about 75, 80 percent rising seniors, about 20 percent rising juniors, and about five percent rising sophomores, with give or take uh, within that margin of error. But um, uh, I thought the local town was good. I think they helped, like you said, helped themselves. Now, also, the one thing we had last year, which is also another great camp, is we had an abnormally high number of 20, 20 kids last year that came, high level. And part of that was that class, prior to people reclassifying, and even still now, to a lesser degree, is a very strong class. And those guys wanted it, most of them wanted to come back, so... Uh, that limited some spots for newer guys. Um, also, too, I kind of tried to prevent having a lack of size by maybe overstocking a little bit extra on the size in case we had some um, people who couldn't make it for various reasons, one of which was Enoch Boa, uh, I think I'm mispronouncing his name, from Canada, who was 6'10", supposed to be there. He made the Canadian team the last second. We also, you know, had several guys that that were invited or scheduled and couldn't come because of injury. That would have made the camp even more loaded. Zaire Williams got injured um, in the last round of the UIBL. He's a top 10 talent. Um, uh, who else? 
Jaden Springer definitely would have been back. He's got a foot injury. Um, by fall, as Ronnie knows, was the MVP of the junior camp back in March. He has an injury. He was invited. And we also have some people that have some conflicts. So Devin Askew and Amari Burnett, two high major guards, um, were, were representing the USA at the FIBA three-on-three international finals in Mongolia. And I'm sure and you were dying four. to watch those games. Yeah, and then we had four kids that would have, I think, would have held their own and been created some buzz who were are on that USA under-16 team that's currently in Belém, Brazil. That What a farewell. Rick Isaacs, Ricky Isaac Jr. Pop-Pop. Uh, actually, they got a new nickname. We're, 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 he's outgrown the Pop-Pop. That's oh. too elementary, too. What have we got school. now? And the new middle, the new nickname from here on out is going to be Pistol Pop. Okay, all right. Pistol Pete Maravich with a little bit of pop <laughs> for, for nostalgia. Amari Bailey would have been there. He's on under-16 team. Adrian Griffin, who might be the best player on the under-16 team, who was at the Pangos camp last year. And Kajani Wright, three of those four were at the camp, Pangos camp last year. So, But they actually, I don't know where we would have put those in the All-Star game. And we also had McCurr Maker had an injury. You know, he's, a lot of people are high on him. I know Eric Bossy has him, I think, top 15 in the country. And then we had some, some late late guys that played well. I think Jemai Meshack was a late invitee. He played well, made an all-star game. Um, Yassine Garam, who was one of the better pure point guards in California, was a late invitee because we needed an extra guard. He, he played very well. I think he had some good assist totals and played really well. And, and – um, that's one of the guys, too, with our national reputations that um, one guy that we left off the all-star team, too, Ronnie, that is a good player is Randy Brady out of Tennessee, who's an athletic wing guard and who's top 30 to 50 in, in the 2021 class. And then, um, you know, we had a couple of guys with travel issues. But other than that, it was, you know, it's a strong, strong, strong camp and um, another, another guy at the top of my head, Mawani Wilkinson, continues to get better, continues to play well. And, you know, and then Zion, who, how can we forget Zion Harmon? I think Ryan, I know Ryan, you love him. Yeah. He was at times as good of a guard there. And I'm st- unstoppable off the dribble to the basket from the three point line. I mean, he was, you know, he's had a reputation for a long time, but. That was the best I've ever seen him play. Yeah, I agree with you, Dino. It's hard to knock what he did this weekend. He had the long range range ball going. Sure, he has a little bit of mustard on him, but the mustard didn't fall 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 off the, the sandwich or the dog this weekend. He was playing great. Um, we talk a little bit about the mustard and maybe a little bit too much hot dogging. You mentioned it at the top of the camp. Fran Franchilla also brought the point home, but we still have this you know, thing where the players are maybe a little too loose at times. And we don't just see it at your camp. We see it at other camps. We see it at the Balls Life game. We see it at McDonald's. What can we do at Pango's camp? And what can we do in grassroots in general to kind of get this message home to these guys or maybe change the format to 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 where they're playing to the best of the, their ability at all times? What, what's your opinion there? Well, I mean, the problem you have here, unfortunately, we're that we could, might be their coaches, we might be their camp directors, we might be media people watching, but we're not their parents and we're not their family members. 
that are around these guys 24-7. This is a new breed. These are the guys that didn't want to wear basketball shorts like, like women were wearing bathing suits in the 1930s. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 it just it is what it is. And, you know, I've heard recommendations of control, controlled scrimmages. You can have all the controlled scrimmages you want. They're not, they're not letting those shorts hang. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Bobby Pins. I'm surprised I haven't seen Bobby Pins come up in these shorts right here. Yeah, it, 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 it just it, we're living in a, I think an era now, obviously Fab Five, where it was extreme the other way, and we're living in extreme now where these shorts are they're speedos. I mean, are we far? We may have we may have basketball players looking like female volleyball players here in a minute. <laughs> yeah. So, in all seriousness, like. Are you taking any consideration to making any changes to the camp to to make the best product available and the the, the best camp you can have? You know, with all things considered, yeah. I think that's you know we got you know we we got these kids to play hard at times, but I think ultimately another dynamic too is these kids have you know they're they're, they're still kids. You know, we're we're expecting them to be uh, adults. And a lot of guys who are in college go go buck wild. And these guys are in high school. I think it's not necessarily that bad of an idea to have them. Let them have some fun as long as they compete in the game and as long as we can get them to, to kind of play like Scotty, guys like Scotty Barnes. And But ultimately, like I, I don't even remember, I told the campers in the beginning, the fundamental problem we have right now is the demand for these kids' time from so many different avenues, from the shoe circuits, uh, who the last several years have been going a much more um, consistent basis time-wise. You have USA Basketball now that's becoming more prevalent. These kids are constantly on the grind. They have these trainers. There's a... Trainers these days seem like 7-Eleven, the one on every corner. Uh, at some point, is the solution to, to these kids' basketball situation, is it to continue to drive them into the ground, or are we better focused on as much quality rather than quantity? The old days of the camp, Ronnie, you remember this, Devin may not, because Devin's more of a young buck is back in the Nike ABCD, those were grueling camps. I worked at the Nike camp for several years for George Raveling. It was great, it was great to see him post-surgery at the camp up and about this weekend, as a side note. But, man, we were there a whole week. It was when we woke up at 8. We ate breakfast. I remember eating breakfast with Elton Brand and Ron Artest. We'd go to the gym. They had put him through the skills session. We walked back to the hotel. The walk of death seemed like we yeah. eat lunch. Back to the gym, games. Back to the gym for dinner. Eat dinner. Back to the gym for the night session. Back to the hotel for late night snack. The college counselors would stay and play pickup for the NBA teams that were there, and you repeat it five days in a row. I mean, those days are it's not practical. That format is not practicable, practical anymore. It's just not as much as it, it was good. 
in five-star camps like that in the old uh, Campbell camp that the Tootie used to coach at was good. Those camps are in the old Snow Valley. That's, that's another great one with Herb Livesey and, and the guys that were involved in that camp. It's just not it's not in the cards anymore. You're better off. I think you just got to get them in and out. You got to give them a taste. I mean, they got some good competition. We didn't have an enormous amount of skills, but we had a little bit, enough to give them a taste. And then we had enough games to where the media and scouts, the NBA teams who were there this year, we had probably around 25 NBA teams show up. Got a chance to see them. And, you know, there's, I don't think there's, there's a perfect way to do it. There may be some ways, but the time-wise and, you know, people don't realize, even though I start late on Saturday and a lot of the guys like that because they can sleep in, the, not the players, the non-players like it. It's just that we have, normally have an SAT on that date. which allows kids to do that without missing any part of the camp. And a lot of those guys have come in off a flight and play the game and probably need some time to recover. So there's a lot of different things to consider. I think ultimately the main thing is to have people involved in the camp and the skills, coaching them, that can motivate them to the best degree possible. But every kid's different. You know, would we love to see more, you know, Scotty Lewis's, I'm sorry, Scotty Barnes and, and uh, Paul Harris, and Jamal Boykins out there, of course. But, you know, we're dealing with a, a, a new generation of kids that are being worshipped by these paparazzis <laughs> like they're Madonna. We were talking about that before we brought you on, yeah. So, I mean, that's part of the warping of these guys. And But, but on, on the flip side, they actually were... were Quite well behaved. I didn't get any complaints at the hotel. Unlike the Quinn, Quinn Cook days, Quinn Cook was the ringleader of the 2000. What camp was that, Ronnie? Uh, probably 2010. 2009, 2012. Probably. Camp where I was awakened out of bed at 3:30 in the morning, summoned to the Hyatt Regency, and I asked the, the manager, "Sir, can I ask you what this is regarding?" He goes, "You need to get down here." I go, sir, what's, what's going on? And the guy goes, all hell's breaking loose. <laughs> yeah, well, it was a, a hell of a weekend. It was a very good camp. Uh, we got to saw a lot of players that we don't get to see on all, all the time. Like you said, Aminu Muhammad, uh, you know, Paolo Banchero, Musa Sisi did very well. De'Ron Sharp, I think the West Coast contingent were very impressed with him. Talk about he, he was he sometimes he, he's easy to forget because he doesn't force the issue he plays plays a, a very complimentary way most of the time he did he did a tremendous job and is has solidified himself as a top fifteen player and heavily heavily recruited but one more last thing Ronnie that I think is important that a lot of these kids too even though night most of the top kids were had a Nike slant that's just the way it is this year. But there all, were also several Adidas kids there and Under Armour kids that had a chance to kind of interact with guys they normally don't see. And the same thing with Nike. Those guys in the Nike UIBL, they're not going to see Evan Mobley this year. They're not going to see a Brandon Hatfield Huntley 
I'm getting his names you know, probably rearranged there. You know, there's other guys there that were, you know, good players from different circuits. And then you also have some good independent team guys there too. But Keith Dinwiddie has had a very good spring so far. Made the top 60 game. TJ. Um, uh, Matthew Moncrief Alexander. Uh, plays for CIA Bounce. Said their top team is not on the EYBL this year. I thought he played terrific. He had one of the better dunks at the camp in the All-Star game. And it kind of allows players to kind of see guys they, they may not see elsewhere. And hopefully that continues with the NBPA camp uh, to kind of give people a different experience, a different look. Because sometimes when you're playing the same people over and over again, you go to the same restaurant, same hotel, you need to kind of you know, break up the monotony a little bit. That makes sense, Dinos. So we we appreciate the input. We're looking forward to the 18th edition next year. And uh, we'll see you at the NBA Top 100 next week, June 12th through 17th. And uh, well, thank you for your time and for coming on. We'll see you all. So don't forget, June 21st, 23rd, at the Section 7 camp with the after party in Scottsdale, Arizona. Look, looking forward to it. Looking forward to that <laughs> Section 7 camp. Don't know what's going to be there, but I know where I'm going to be. All right. All right, Dinos, thanks, man. Dinos Dragonis, the uh, director of the Penguins All-American Camp. Um, Ronnie, people can say what they want about Dinos, but that dude works hard to put that camp on. And he put yeah, free you know, of he charge. Does, free of charge. Yeah. Spectators are free. Um, players come for free. Yeah. They're all taken care of. Hotels, all that stuff, flights. Um, and he gets, you know a lot of the top end talent and he does a nice job of, like you said, mixing guards, wings and forwards and centers and, you know, making sure the teams are as even as they possibly can be, uh, in, in that setting. Um, but I don't think Dinos gets enough credit for really what he does. Sure. I mean, um, he, you know, it's, it's kind of like the camp where he's obviously it's, you know, people were in this business. All oh, this guys are in business to make money. This guy's in the business to make money, a quick, quick buck. But uh, on this camp, he's not, you know, he's, he's, He's in the negative, but you know he's got camps and events all year round, and it leads up to this one. And I think it gives the people just a good snapshot of the top high school talent, where it's at, how good it is, where the shortcomings are. Like I said, there was very good depth. I mean, there's players we didn't even mention: Chris Moore from West Memphis, Arkansas. Uh, Frankie Collins still did good. I thought Josh Hall, yeah, number eighty-eight. I won't forget that number from Moravian Hickory, North Carolina. Yeah, he played well. He played well. AJ Hogard, you look at, it, you say, man, can this guy really play? But he can really score. Um, Matthew Alexander Moncrief from Ontario, Canada. Maddie Sissoko was a monster from yeah. Wasatch Academy. Yeah, Maddie's played really good in the All Star game. I think he kind of elevated himself. I didn't know much about Brandon Huntley Hatfield, the guy he mentioned on the call. Um, two twenty two, about six nine, out of Tennessee. Who's at IMG? That that guy is going to be really good. Yeah, I, everybody was talking about him. You know, who's him? People were on the horn saying, "Who's this guy?" So, uh, give us your three guys that surprised you, Devin, and um, we'll kind of close out with uh, with that. And and you know, I'll I'll kind of give up my spill of three guys who kind of surprised me. Sure. And we'll we'll just talk a little bit about the rest of the month. Yeah, I think Rasul Diggins from uh from Philly. I thought he, during the camp games, was on a team where he didn't get a lot of touches. Sure. And then when he played in that top 60 game and he was kind of able to, to get the ball in his hands and be free and, and play the way he wants to play, he, he did really well. Um, he had 20 points, leading scorer in that game, uh, and he was fantastic. Um, I think a guy that um, 
Dinos brought up, who I'm a big fan of, was Jemai Meshach from Etiwanda. He was probably one of the last invites to the camp. Sure. And if you know anything about Jemai Meshach, you know anything about Etiwanda, uh, he came in and he did what he does. He plays hard, he defends, and uh, he plays the, the right way. Offense is coming around. And offense is coming. He's getting there. He's a one yeah. and two dribble pull up guy, or you know, a guy who gets all the way to the rim. I want to see him take another step as a catch and shoot, uh, three point shooting guard to make him a, a pure two guard. But uh, I literally got this. I got this DM from Jemai Meshack uh, maybe 15, 20 minutes ago. He said, hey, bro, really appreciate your support. Just want to keep getting better. If you had three things you want me to work on, what would they be? I mean, okay. that's amazing, right? Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. A, a kid who literally just come off a has camp. the wherewithal yeah. to come off this camp and be like, yeah. I'm going to reach out to media people, scouts, whatever you want to call me, and be like, I'm sure he, he messaged Frank. I'm sure he messaged Joel uh, and ask what he needs to work on. Uh, that's a guy who's going to have long-term success in the game. Um, another guy I, I like was uh, uh, Jim Jones guy, Moani Wilkinson. Dinos also mentioned him. I think I was talking to the, the Jimmy the Ripper. He finally made his way back to SoCal from um, Vegas. Uh, good to see him uh, in the gym again. Um, and he said that Moani was like a junior varsity center. Center last year or two years ago? Two years ago. And, you know, Jim got moved to Vegas, obviously, and started working with some Gorman guys, working with a bunch of Vegas guys. And, man, moani has got, he's got some ball skills. Um, he's he's improved fantabulous. his jump shot. He's a freak athlete. Like, those are things, you know, freak athlete, that's what he is. Um, dunker, finisher on the basket. But, again, like, if, if, if he's been working on the ball skills and the jump shot for two years, just two years, a year and a half, I mean, that's pretty impressive what he did at Pangos this weekend. Yeah, I agree with you there. A couple of weeks ago, he played in a new uh, Las Vegas Knicks versus like a Vegas Elite Showcase, and the Vegas Elite team didn't have all their guys, definitely didn't have their out-of-area guys like Josh Christopher, Julian Strother didn't play, and he kind of led, carried them, hit the shot that took them in overtime. Uh, he just elevates over guys. When Jim first started working with them, he, he didn't really even jump on his shot. He didn't understand the mechanics of it. Maybe nobody taught him. He didn't jump when he shot. So now he's, he looks like Toby Bailey when he, you know, when he, when he elevates, you know, he just has great lift. Now he's got to continue to work on the consistency. He did fine in the, in the second 20 All-Star game and he, and he, and he did good in the camp. So I, I agree with you there. Uh, you know, just the, the transformation in a year and a half has been really excellent to where he can, Hang and do pretty well in a national level all star camp is pretty amazing as a as a guard wing. Yeah, the guy I like I want to mention is J T Thor. Uh, yeah, he would shoot well, six nine power forward, and he he does a lot of good things. He's uh, active. He's real yeah, active. He's the guy that I kind of of the three guys I'm going to mention that you know stood out that I didn't know much about. Um, the other guy who I know more about, but he did very well. I thought was Sky Clark. He didn't make any all star game. But, you know, he comes in with a big reputation. He's a 222 guard. He's been at Oaks Christian and Heritage Christian in the San Fernando Valley. And, you know, you, you think sometimes all these young guys, they, they, they get the benefit of the doubt because they're local. It's not a flight, things like that. But he played well. He did. He just did what he's supposed to, ha pass the ball to the guys in the right positions. And I was very impressed with just his ability as a 222 uh, to play very well. Um, the guy who I liked in... Camp number seven is I won't you know jersey number seven is the Devion Smith from Grayson Logan. But I thought of the guys who come into the camp who don't not have a big reputation and does everything from start to finish 
did the drills well, didn't didn't prima donna it, sit out or goof around in the trainings table, who got something out of it was uh you know Mr. Hall there, uh, Devion Smith. I'm sorry, from Graysonville Logan. Um, he did a great job, explosive guard. I just thought he took advantage of the whole weekend where some guys didn't. Yeah. You know, he, he got everything out of it that he possibly could. So those are my my guys um, in terms of the, the three guys who I thought For sure. And those are, up. those are all guys who I think throughout the weekend, um, you and I both went back and forth. We're like, you know, these guys, we didn't know who they are. And, and they made a name for themselves and proved themselves on that level. And it's always good to see that. That's what the camp is all about. Um, you know, let's wrap it up with that, Ronnie. We appreciate you guys listening in each and every week with us. Um, feel free to give us a subscribe uh, on iTunes. You know, like our our, our SoundCloud page. Um, everything helps, and we appreciate everything you guys do. Uh, coming up to us in the gym and, and telling us how much you like the show, or how much you hate the show, or hate either one of us, or disagreeing with our opinions. Um, but until next week, Ronnie and Devin signing off.